Hello and welcome back to the Starving Artist Podcast episode 14. I got the episode number wrong on the last episode, so I'm rectifying that now. And I'm delighted to be here with the wonderful Stanley Morgan. Stanley, thank you for joining us, mate. Thank you for having me. How are you today? It's funny because we were speaking before this mm-hmm. and I realised I had, because we did a meditation just now, mm-hmm. and I realised I hadn't asked you how you were were yet and so during the meditation I was thinking about that and then it's such an interesting question because I'm in a foreign country right now and a lot of people only speak certain phrases of English and so there's a lot of how are you have a nice day so you hear these Mm. sort of social um yeah etiquette uh, yeah (laughs) basically yeah and um I I never quite know how to answer. Um, mm. But I'd say today I feel I feel I'd felt out of alignment for quite a few days. And mm. even just having this conversation or the the preparation for this conversation has sort of brought me back into alignment with things that I um feel drawn to. So mm. I feel I actually do feel um I feel good. How how do you good. feel? I'm good. It's interesting you you say that because um it it is interesting how often how rarely we ground ourselves sometimes and kind of come back to oh actually how am I feeling because especially in the society we live in we're kind of constantly doing something or told we should be doing something um I, yeah I'm well I am as I said before though we just listened to um something from Consolations which is a collection by David White on honesty. And he said that uh, honesty comes through grief and loss. And I think I'm in a grieving process. And I was saying to you that I only realized that through the part I'm currently playing and working on, (laughs) Um, which is one of the uh, many benefits of, I think, acting is the catharsis you can get through it. It can be dangerous at times, but um, yeah. So tell tell me, I'd be interested to know, I wasn't going to ask this, but if you're allowed to say it, what you're currently working on and kind of the themes around that, what are you, how is the the character you're currently working on affecting your well-being? I want to talk about what you said about grief and mm. what you're learning from your current character. And then that might. Um, yeah, yes, of course. My own. So I'm working on, I haven't, it's the first play I've done since last summer. And it's one that um, is very, it, it resonated with me quite deeply immediately. I did a rehearsed reading of it last year and sort of actually kind of broke down on stage. Thankfully, it worked for the character, but it was like it was this little crack in the armor that I didn't quite expect. Uh, and it is a play where the main theme is grief, but it, it's made me reflect on that I'm not 
that grief isn't simply grieving for a person or a, a loss of, of someone in your life. That can be one of the most, you know, profound types of grief. But I think I'm grieving, <laughs> it goes back to what we were saying, the life I thought I wanted and the life I kind of, you know, at 18, bright eyed young thing going off to Lambda <laughs> thinking that I wanted and then things just went I don't know if you know much of my story, but I had to. I, I, yeah, I don't. And if no. you mind sharing. I'd yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So I, I was 18 when I got into Lambda. And I think I was ready as an actor, but completely unprepared as a human being. Um, I, <laughs> I had a lot of sort of mental health issues that were unaddressed. I didn't even know what they were at the time. Uh, and by the third year, um, I started my third year and was cast as Macbeth. Um, but I was fucked at that point i was just so i'd been sleeping sort of two to four hours a night for three years my anxiety levels were through the roof i didn't know what that was at the time i remember going to hospital because i thought i was having a heart attack not knowing that it was a panic attack um and i left and when i left my entire sense of identity completely shattered um it, it also coincided with a lot of other things i got home and uh, my parents' marriage was breaking down and the girl um, that I was sort of in love with at the time because of what was happening, we we went our separate ways. And it was just like everything I thought I was and had used as my outward mm. identity up until then completely in a week shattered. Uh, and sort of the fallout from that was that I, I didn't still didn't really know what was wrong with me. So I didn't... I didn't... I didn't do the things that I have subsequently done that would be healthy, which is figure out what's wrong with me and work through them. I turned to drugs, which is kind of my story, you know, up until a few years ago has been, has been a big part of my story, drugs and alcohol. Um, and so I just numbed it and went back to Lambda and it just got progressively worse. My I leaned on that crutch for, for more than I should. And by the final, I managed to graduate, but in the final term, I went to rehab because I was just fucked again. Um, and then it's, you know, so I I had this big lead role at the start of the third year with, you know, some of the biggest agents in the country coming. I thought, this is it. This is the ticket. This is more than I could have ever dreamed of. And mm -hmm. then it all shattered all at once. Um, and I think in a way, actually, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because if I had just carried on and got some massive agent and been on a film set, I'd have then had a nervous breakdown on a film set and never worked again kind of thing. So as as long as the process has been and as, as you know, completely different to how I thought it would be, it's made me finally go, okay, what's wrong with me? I need to do something about it. And th that's kind of been the last six, seven years of my life. Um so I think I'm grieving family. I don't feel I have a family unit anymore. I think I'm grieving the loss of r romance in certain, like, you know, my romantic life has been a bit topsy-turvy because it's hard to be in a romantic relationship when you're a drug addict and al alcoholic because that is your relationship, you know? There's not much room for anything else. Yeah. Um, and, and also what it can, I was thinking about what you said in terms of using drugs and alcohol as a crutch mm. um, at that point when you return to Lambda. And I think I have so many, I have so many questions about, um, you know, what you said, because, you know, it's, you know, in someone's, it's, it's quite hard to, 
talk about certain periods of life because naturally we have to go and then I did three years at Lambda and then it was in my third year and I'm going yeah yeah hold on (laughs) (laughs) there's a big old two and a half years the thing of what drugs and alcohol and we've spoken a little bit about this not now of that those things have had an impact on my life my upbringing not me personally but yeah people I, I really love and care about have had um struggles with those things and so I was really aware of that from a young age and it's about what it actually doesn't allow you to feel that can mm. really um when you're saying about a romantic relationship it's you know at the heart of a good relationship is is about vulnerability and and mm, completely the mess of you <laughs> and it really inhibits you from being able to feel anything in yeah. a way um that's that's what that was my experience or at least my experience of being around people who were struggling mm-hmm. with that because it, yeah go ahead. it's it's sort of i i found it was a constant attempt to numb myself and i it, it, i didn't realize quite how much i'd been doing it until i stopped it and then realized at 27 this is possibly the first time i've ever sat with my emotions properly <laughs> does know? that make it harder in a way because you're 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 trying to to numb and then so you're you're so so much further away from from the experience of feeling your own feelings that when you then have to stop it it must just feel oh it's definitely not the right thing because i feel so much worse for having done it and then you have to be thinking and go no the bad is good yeah i mean well that's why it's so hard and why there's such a small success rate for rehab and things like that and in you know i'm in a 12-step program which has helped me but you know i see so many people come and go because it is just this tsunami of grief Mm. (laughs) and coming back it's and um it's a practice like anything else to sit with it but you do notice that as you sit with it those emotions pass quicker and you can actually process them whereas with substances you cannot process them and you're just adding more issues on top of it it's interesting to to talk to you as you you shared you know from the other side of witnessing Mm. loved ones who've gone through it um what has your experience been like with that because i think one of the really heartbreaking things about addiction and alcoholism is your i imagine you feel kind of helpless because until someone is fully had enough and ready to kind of i need help mm. there's not a lot you can do for them you, you know the interventions and all this i i, I have I, yeah it's difficult <laughs> <laughs> i've done those yeah um it's funny i i'm sure the experience is are drastically different but in some ways really similar because i think you you go through i think age is really important Uh, it was something that i was aware of from a very young age and so (laughs) i think you go through your own period of numbing where Mm. you have to um as as a as when you're quite young it it's quite scary and so you're trying to you're trying to fix it or you're trying to do what you can to to stop this happening because I think especially with alcohol you feel like someone's disappeared and what I do I I, I don't want to ascribe it to anyone else but I definitely felt and feel like the person that I 
really love and want to spend time with has now gone mm-hmm. and i'm with this intoxicated person yeah and especially when you're young it's i developed this thing of well there's no point of me engaging with you right now because mm-hmm. this experience isn't being um logged anywhere and completely I'm gonna yeah re- i'm gonna try you know you'll have like and it only takes a few real you know you have like a, a moment where you go oh that was amazing and then you realize they aren't going to remember this yeah it only takes a few of those before you start just slightly retreating and going i don't want to i don't want to have that feeling again it's it's a sort of strange feeling where you go oh we're not having the same experience because for me this is an amazing open moment and for you you're actually connecting em- emotionally to a, a drug of some yeah. kind and i'm yeah. just here <laughs> to watch mm, it it's com- I, um, yeah so i think you have to go you go through your own numbing of it or at least i did to be able to handle it i had to numb myself to what was actually happening and i think i'm still going through a, a mm. period of is thawing the right word where you sort of un- thawing. is like that unfreezing or is unfreezing that- yeah 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 it's yeah. slowly coming back to temperature <laughs> right yeah, yeah, yeah. defrosting Defrost. <laughs> you've taken yourself out of the freezer <laughs> yeah, yeah and trying to actually go, uh, work out what it was i was feeling during those points because it, it bleeds over so you mm. suddenly become that becomes your coping for any uh fearful or scary or um sad experience you you now have this um room you can go to where you can shut all the doors and windows and not connect mm-hmm. and on a you know on a purely selfish level as an as an artist that's death but yeah. on it on on a on a personal level that it's also you know um it cuts you off from it, we were just listening to something about about grief before we started and about loss and it cuts you off from so much experience if you're not allowing yourself to um and i'm saying this to myself whilst reminding myself of this because i still do it but it 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 stops you from being able to engage with life wholly mm. and miss out on so much by protecting yourself from what you think you're protecting yourself from absolutely and uh, that that is it's interesting to hear that from someone who who has witnessed it and de- dealt with the fallout of of witnessing it because that is is easily as the same description as what alcohol did for me which is create this cocoon that where i didn't have to it was horrible and it was shit but it was less scary than real life it's like no one could reach in here and touch me um and it's it's why i think from what you described why there's this big debate around how much of alcoholism is genetic and how much is you know i i personally think there there is a, a genetic element but often it's trauma based and it's why often you know children of alcoholics sometimes mm-hmm. become alcoholics because if you're witnessing an alcoholic parent at, at such a you know fundamental stage in your development it's it's bound to to traumatize you so it's amazing that you are thawing as you say and you know (laughs) trying to to figure out those emotions well i think it's yeah i i definitely see it as um something i'm really in a strange way grateful for i think um i'm sure that i'm sure there's some part of that that makes it also easier to deal with but i think it's 
it ex it made me it exposed me to so many things at such a young age mm -hmm. that um that I now feel that I, that I sort of had to contend with and struggle with that and this is this is true for everyone for for so many things and just my experience of this particular um problem and it exposed me to so many things that I feel I I grew up quicker in a sense or mm. um had to uh yeah had to contend with things at an age where I now feel really grateful um yeah. for that and it was never something I was ever because I, I don't really drink and I've never done drugs and so it's and that I'm really grateful for too and yeah. I'm sure it's part of why I went into acting as well was that um safe place where I could um explore emotions without them having to um be at the time what I thought were connected to me and it was like oh no I'm not feeling sad this character's feeling sad mm. whereas now my process the evolution of my process is really realizing how much of it is me and yeah um that being an amazing thing and mm. being really happy about that and yeah. and yeah this is this is quite a personal question, so you can veto it if not. But I find myself that because it sounds, you know, obviously different circumstances, but similar thing. I, I think I had to grow up quickly. I saw a lot of of pain uh, and trauma in my own family that I kind of became a caregiver almost uh, at a young age. Um, and I think I am grateful for certain things of it. And as as similarly, I grow up very quickly, um, but I am left with a sense of innate sadness in a way that that you know i think is one of the reasons i went into acting is because i can exercise that um yeah. and and i can understand myself through the characters i play but has that i mean everything leaves a mark right do, do you do you find that there is no matter how much you're working through it that yeah. that is still a part of you because it's gotta it's gotta leave some sense of sadness yeah um Big question, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't apologize. I'm here for right. I think, I think, my experience of it has been one of, like I said, I'm immensely grateful for, because all of the people I really admire and all of the people that I am drawn towards have really similar experiences. Mm -hmm. um, people in my family who are incredibly wise or have experienced things they're the ones who have the teachings that i seek mm. and you can feel when someone is speaking from a book as opposed to when someone is speaking from an experience and all of the people that i grew up around that i really admired and i and i really respected had similar um experiences in in either their childhood or their their upbringing and i think especially when we're dealing with acting and we're dealing with characters my biggest realization is that no one no one escapes unscathed through no. childhood yeah yeah <laughs> and maybe reframing the conversation around um this idea of a perfect childhood i think can actually you know even the idea of um, I think that's a good way of putting it of, of a perfect childhood, because I think that can become a, a sort of mountaintop or, or an idea of something that anyone who feels like they didn't 
can develop resentment or can feel like they missed out on something. Mm. But I know people who have had quote unquote amazing childhoods and that's part of their, um, you know, if we want to take it to acting, they're sort of the, the root problem for their character. You know, mm. I always think um, I was exposed to like some really great teachings about acting from different periods of my life. And one of the really good ones was working out your character's sort of root problems they're trying to solve. And I know people who were who were loved too much. They were, mm. you know, yeah. they were the what's what's the idea the the devouring mother idea. Yeah, coddled, is, just know. being coddled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, that can be an issue. And I think there's, I think it's just, I I see things, and I guess this is part of acting is not seeing any of it as good or bad, just sort of is, mm. and then, um, seeing how people then navigate what is in 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 the pursuit of trying to resolve something i think mm. um and so yeah for me i've never i've never seen it as i i definitely am prone to periods of sort of um introspection or um periods of isolation i definitely um i definitely do do that yeah sorry. but i yeah and i mm. i think but i think that's to be expected from artists because and I, I don't even want to frame it just as artists because anyone who's in the pursuit of anything, I feel there is a question they're trying to um, solve. And that's kind of why I wanted to, at some point, ask you, you know, about this conversation we're having of wondering what it is that we are collectively trying to um, find through this conversation. Because I'm not sure I have a huge amount to contribute to sort of you know the the lineage of acting yeah. or anything <laughs> yeah. like that or, or mm. any sort of you know um expertise but mm. i wonder if um you know we were talking and i i could definitely engage with um trying to find answers or perhaps trying to find the right words for questions mm. maybe yeah i i think one thing i found through th this podcast and the blog that i started with it was born out of a, a a need for vulnerability i'd i'd spent so long in my life being ashamed of certain elements of my past and you know keeping those things in the dark they fester whereas bringing them to the light i found has actually been so liberating and it's like oh it's a weight off my shoulders i don't have to pretend anymore um and so i think it doesn't matter that we're probably not going to change the course of acting history uh, in the process of the next hour and a half. But I do think there is a power in having a vulnerable conversation. And also, as we were just talking about, you, you know, you you say you gravitate to to people who have had maybe trauma in their lives. And I think if we could figure out as a society that trauma is possibly the one thing that bonds us whether it's big t trauma or small t trauma so many issues would be solved i think um i had a friend recently who said something brilliant um we were talking about um kind of conversations around uh race and things and it and it was she said that you can't relate on a on a level of direct experience but you can relate on a basis of trauma we've both been through trauma on something so that's a starting point as you say framing questions how do we start this conversation yeah so i guess in a roundabout way that's kind of what i'm going for um and i just i think learning about 
about people it's interesting having a conversation with someone i don't know and immediately we've 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 you know shared quite a bit and i think that's a powerful thing yeah. you know it's it's i it's, agree it's going against the norm <laughs> i think so i but i think yeah it all comes back to um and i we, and we will get into this i'm sure um and it's what's on the forefront of my mind at the minute because that's what i'm doing is acting hmm. and so that's the the avenue through which I'm sort of expressing so much of what I'm thinking and feeling, even yeah. if it's a small way that no one's going to know, I'm I'm trying to sort of sneak, um, uh, you know, personal reflections into what I'm doing. And I think that the first port of call when you're working on a character is what, what are they? Yeah. What is their problems that they they feel they're trying to solve you know what are the wounds that's that's yeah. where i go straight away because that's how i also feel like i can connect and i think mm -hmm. i agree with you where i don't really know how if i you know when you have conversations with people and they the, the, within minutes they're like, oh, so what do you do and you sort of the the, the social game is let's exchange accolades mm -hmm. and so oh i work for this and i do this oh cool well okay i've got yeah. to try and one up you now somehow yeah it's especially <laughs> i think prevalent with actors i oh, I, I immediately it's not that i don't relate i just wish it's not, when i say to an actor oh how are you and the first thing they say i'm good i'm just i'm going up for a thing and i just did this and it's like yeah. that's yeah. not that's not actually what i asked you it's no. like, and, I, and i actively try not to do that when someone asks me how another actor says how are you yeah. I, I kind of don't go straight to work because I I fell into the trap of completely identifying myself with being an actor and in an industry that is is can be so random sometimes. Um, mm. If you're doing that, it's it's no stable grounds for peace and serenity, <laughs> a peaceful life. And I think the way you just said that you navigate that really reflects what I'm what I've been thinking about in the sense of instead of you know, you pose a question to someone, how are you? And they're going to take that question in whatever headspace they're in at the time. And you don't have time to say to someone, and maybe you do, and maybe this would be really cool as well, but it might be quite confrontational to go, how are you? And I really mean, how are you? I don't yeah. mean sell, sell yourself, you know, give me the one minute pitch of your life at the moment. <laughs> yeah. What you can do is when someone asks you, you can answer in a way that might liberate them. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I've learned most from people is when I see someone navigate a situation, as opposed to them telling me how to do it, mm -hmm. when I actually can see it and someone answers a question in a way where, because there's a difference between someone telling you and them actually doing it themselves, because you see someone put themselves in the potential firing line of of awkwardness or you know getting the social cue wrong mm -hmm. and i learn a, i learn a lot from that when someone answers a question sincerely or honestly and and if we're being totally honest there isn't always space and time for it and that that was why i was umming and ahhing um not about talking to you but about talking to you in a way that's recorded because it these kinds of conversations i think so for me conversation can be so much dictated by the person you're speaking to mm -hmm. you know the, the way that you speak and the way that you convey a message is different depending on the ears that it's falling on completely um, and 
how do you have a conversation that might then be listened to by other people mm-hmm. um and ultimately it's a bit like acting you just speak to the person you're speaking to yeah and, and worry less about um because because the way i convey a message about acting to you is very different to how i would speak to a member or my family or a friend who doesn't mm-hmm. know in the same yeah. way that you know if I say to a doctor, my heart is, I've got a pain in my chest. He's probably just going to go, oh, because you, you know. Myocarditis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's not going to say, he's not going to say, you know, all of the technical medical terms yeah, yeah. because this valve is this. Or yeah, yeah. He's just going to go, did you have two pizzas last night? And I'm going to mm-hmm. be like, yeah. And he's like, yeah. of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Translate to the to the person we're speaking to, I think. And I think that's important. Mm. Well, I, I think it goes back to, for me to that the power in vulnerability, as you say, when when you see someone answer a question openly and honestly, it can kind of my experience anyway in in trying to do that myself, and I'm not always good at it, but when I am, is that you that's kind of reflected back to you. It's like someone maybe is in a place where they feel, oh, thank fuck, I'm in a safe place where I can actually share back how I'm feeling rather than going I'm fine because that's that's what I always used to do um because I was terrified that if whenever anyone said how are you and I was on because I was suffered really bad I still do but not as frequently suffered very badly with depression in my early 20s and I was terrified that if every time I answered how are you honestly that no one would ever want to be around me um and that's a hard thing to break down yeah and Mm. where are you at with that conversation now mm-hmm. how, how do you feel about that now i think as you said as you say there is there is sort of a social element where it's not always appropriate <laughs> um yeah. but i have been lucky in the last few years of living with people who have actively encouraged me to do the opposite of what my childhood taught me which was not to burden anyone with your issues mm-hmm. they've actively encouraged me to say how are you no but how are you you know it's i can actually share that space um and just it's just kind of the the passage of time as well and we we shift and i've done a lot of work on myself and got sober which was massive um so the the peaks and troughs aren't as violent as they used to be um but they're still there and they still come and go um but i feel like every time i've said this on the podcast before but every time i come out of one of those cycles of melancholy or low mood it's like a little ego death there's another little chip away of this false self Mm -hmm. um that's sort of been chipped away through surrender to i'm too tired to keep this up um and so i i sort of see them as learning experiences now it's hard to see the view them as that in the moment but that's kind of how i see them i think does that make sense yeah it makes complete sense and I think there's something too about becoming okay with uh, your message not being for everyone in the way mm-hmm. that you might say to someone, no, but how are you? And they might go, that guy is so pretentious or he's so sort of annoying or he's so sort of he's trying to have a deep conversation with me blah 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 but Mm. they're viewing you at the level at which they can view you right now yeah and i think 
that was important for me was because I found it, I, I still find um, <laughs> just conversation in general quite difficult, <laughs> quite awkward. I the amount it... of prep we've done for this. Voice yeah, yeah, no, genuinely. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, and I find it all, you know, because it is, there is, there's such a chaotic element to conversation. And I think, too, I, I find working out the level at which you're having the conversation, I found difficult especially growing up because it made me feel so good when people were completely honest and so then you you go I'm, I don't know if you went through you go through a period where you're sort of you go okay honesty is the thing and then you push that sort of honesty scale way too far and you're actually just opening up to people or expressing ideas to people that you that really you know I don't want to put too much of a word on it but don't deserve it or you shouldn't yet and then you learn about how to manage your energy in a lot of ways how to for me anyway I learned how and I'm still learning how to engage with certain people engage with people on the level that they are willing to engage mm -hmm. as opposed to grabbing someone who doesn't want to be in a like yeah. a introspective conversation and go come and come and talk yeah. to me <laughs> sadness right <laughs> if you want to stay on the surface which is where i spend most of my time anyway mm. let, let's have that chat and we can mm. have that chat but the you'll come across the occasional person who will meet you at your level and i think if that's if that happens all the time then it loses its it loses how special that actually is and i think really? you were talking about grief in terms of um, people in your life and maybe even romantically and I think both romantically and in friendships I've found that the really great connections are very rare mm -hmm. and they should be because they are utterly yeah. and they are they have value and valuable things are are rarer yeah it, have you ever read Brené, any of Brené Brown's work I haven't read her work, but mm. I've seen her speak quite a lot. Yeah, because she talks a lot of, about what you were just talking about. Of, there's a difference between being vulnerable and oversharing. You wouldn't, yeah, you know, it's, it's, she says yeah. kind of the difference of someone who you vaguely a acquainted with at a party going, how are you? And you go, well, the, and then you just, yes. you know, split. Or, and yeah. When, like, true vulnerability, as you say, with those few special people in your mm. life, that when... And it doesn't have to be with someone you're close with, but in those moments, that's kind of a gift. You being vulnerable with someone, I think, when you when you judge it right, and when you know it's someone who can can receive that. But mm. it's interesting. It made me think when you were talking of this question of kind of we use, I think, in Britain the term wanky a lot to kind yeah, of yeah. describe emotions yeah. we're very uncomfortable with and topics yeah. we're very uncomfortable it's with. It's a precursor to actually, I might say something I deeply mean right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might show my true feelings right now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because I know I know you, you've you shared with me that you are very interested. I think you've done a little bit of directing anyway, but in the future, it's, yeah, it's a real yeah. kind of thing you want to do. And how, I guess... How do you combat that in a rehearsal room or as an ensemble of fostering, you know, fostering a sense of open, interested vulnerability? That's our buzzword for the. I'm just going to call the episode vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lanky of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
wanky vulnerability um <laughs> because i think that's important vulnerability is important within any creative process so how do, how do you personally in your life and in your work get past that kind of term wanky i keep getting called soft boy as well that's another thing people uh, keep calling me and i'm like yeah. well i guess i am yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i know I, yeah i mean that term in itself is shrouded in all sorts of um uh you know i think that term which has not been my experience of you but it's it's alluding to some form of faux vulnerability in order yes. to get some response right and mm -hmm. it's always going to be that and we all are on a narcissistic spectrum of some kind and anyone who thinks they're not is probably the furthest down the yeah, line yeah and i i think you know so so there will always be narcissistic elements of everything even this conversation and that's mm. fine but i think back to your question on on uh yeah how do you do that one i have i i don't know but what i've seen is that i'm my instinct tells me that so much of it if you're a director is about who you invite into the room because mm -hmm. it only takes one person to send it up or to to judge for the entire room to float back up to the surface mm -hmm. and go oh yeah no I, I don't feel comfortable and but but then it also only takes one person to sink so far that the room then starts to feel uncomfortable in a different way and I'm thinking about people and hearing about people who have worked with let's say uh actors who are who a real example that people love to bring up is this staying in character all the time thing or what the what people refer to as the method but we mm -hmm. both know that that's not what that is but let's call it that mm -hmm. and so because i think people feel that that becomes quite selfish as well and that becomes self-absorbed in a way that makes you feel not involved or makes you feel judged and so it really is a it's it's like creating a great sports team or it's like creating a great um orchestra or even a you know a piece of music is that it only takes one note to 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 change the whole dynamic of everything that you're working on and but then, yeah, and, and then I think ultimately you have to bring, you have to be brave and you have mm. to, um, I found that on on everything that I've worked on, I've managed to become a, a tiny bit braver in what it is I actually feel and what it is, you know, when when I, and I, I say I, I would love to direct, but I'm really, there's like a long, long way down the line when I actually feel I have something to say. But I want to, even on a, film and television set i think something that would be really nice is to is to connect with people every morning you know get everyone together and connect with what you're what you're working on for the day and what your intention is for a bit like when we spoke about what this conversation the intention of this conversation is what are we trying to what question are we trying to solve today and not just and you and again there's so many variables because some people are just going to be there because they're trying to pay their rent mm. that's probably the most honorable reason that anyone's got mm. and then some people are going to be there because they are so deeply connected with this piece that they've taken a giant pay cut yeah. for example 
or so you've got loads of different and you don't want to be dragging anyone anywhere they don't want to go but i think you can lightly offer up the space for people to to just you know you know sometimes you're working on something and uh, you'll do a scene where it's just a family chatting around a table and it's very much a centered around exposition and everyone comes in and you shoot it and it's all good and then then you might be shooting the death of a loved one and it has the same feel on set and you go in my head anyway i i start to feel um strange because we're dealing with the death of someone mm -hmm. and how do you navigate that without everyone because it's a workplace too and so it's sorry you're now getting an insight into, into my head as i try and yeah, deal with exactly what we want questions. <laughs> the 500 things in my in my mm. head dragging me um left and right because it is a it's a place of work and do you just set you know how do you everyone has different boundaries and everyone has different parameters in which they work because i know i would love for it to the room should feel like someone's died in it mm. for me personally. Yeah. I, I just feel if that's what we're conveying on a screen, we're, we're giving voice to someone who's experienced death. And so to watch it should feel like it, it, it is to live it, which is horrendous. Mm. And also there's people there who are, you know, who might actually be um, not able to open themselves up to that right now. And it mm. might not help their job and so i guess i just try and find it for myself but i know when i direct i would love for the the set to have the feeling and the rhythm of the question that we're exploring for that day i think i think it sounds like we come from a, a similar place in our view to acting because i i you go in that question of wanky and, and method and all that stuff i take my job very very seriously because i think you are you're portraying another human life, whether that's a fictional life or another one. And if someone was playing me, I'd want mm. them to do more than than turn up and have learned the lines, to be honest. So I yeah. take it very seriously. And that does that does involve, I think, some techniques. In fact, most of my my prep outside of the rehearsal room is could be described as method. As you say, it's not, but <laughs> but it's what people uh, think of as method. For, yeah, for any anyone who isn't like a trained actor listening method is was coined by Stanislavski right it was mm, his, yeah. his method, which essentially is seven key questions is mm -hmm. if we're boiling it down to like yeah. layman terms which is like who are you where are you whatever and not whatever really vital questions but I won't go through all of them and I think we've now so so to be so to perform the method or to use the method is to really just ground yourself in true imaginary circumstances yeah. yeah and now it's become this thing of oh you know he he actually went and dug up a mine himself yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? which, which is like if you want to do that 100 percent. but yeah <laughs> in terms of language the specificity of what we're saying is it if you're pretending to be someone else in a way you are using the method yeah mm -hmm and so yeah sorry but but the the term wanky goes very well with this because i i don't do it i don't bring it into rehearsal rooms because of fear of 
you know putting anyone else out and it's something that i struggle with in my head because um one of my favorite actors one of the original actors who kind of made me think i really want to fucking do this was daniel day lewis who is famously what people consider method you know he yeah. stays in character throughout the whole process including on set and, and that can cause issues for people on set you know they have to when he played christy brown they had to lift his wheelchair over the cables and stuff and yeah. it is it is a question i think about sometimes how much i always keep it it's my process and mm -hmm. I, and it informs everything i do but i never bring it into the room and i'm not sure but then again if i was in daniel day lewis's position if i was a you know a fairly well-regarded actor mm. i probably maybe i would because i think it would help me yeah do you, that's what that was my next question was do you think it do you think you would produce better work if you weren't so polite i think it would on a of my limited experience of, of tv and film sets it would help in a tv or or a film uh, just because of the way it works, because of concentration, I think it would keep me concentrated and not. I, th I think I'd have a tendency of, you know, being in a trailer for five hours to to kind of watch Netflix and, you know, all that um, and staying in character would would help me be at work, basically. Uh, in theatre, I don't think I don't think it would help because that's that really is an ensemble process, I think. And that's what I love about theatre is you're kind of building this world together you're not just a, a little cog in a big machine yeah. um and i think you need to bring some of yourself not just the character to that process personally um but i don't i don't know i've never tried it with theater um i just don't think it i think maybe that's one reason daniel day lewis stopped doing theater was because that that the way he works just you can't sustain that for eight shows a week you know yeah mm. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that, and really, I. It's it's a really it's like the central question is, can you, where where is the line that you cross where you? Because for me, I think I think, I know the line is that as soon as you start to impinge on someone else, if you make someone else's job more difficult, mm. then I think that a line has been crossed, but I think that's that line can be negotiated in ways that are so much simpler than people even really allow it to be. You know, no one on a film set is trying to get in your way and no one's trying to make your job harder trying to, they might by accident, but you can then say to someone, it's very easy to have a conversation where you just say, um, I, I regularly do it with people when, when we're working of maybe if it's, you know, on this on this current job, I'm working with like the most amazing hair and makeup person. And I'll often just say to her, tomorrow's going to be a heavy day. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, I yeah. I not talk tomorrow because mm -hmm. the scene is going to be a lot. Mm -hmm. um, not, not that we won't talk. Obviously, we'll talk, but I might just be a bit more quiet. And also understanding that if you're not an actor, you, you don't know that for free, that that's what mm -hmm. it is. So you could come in and some, you know, I'm. I can I can be a very sensitive person. And if someone's suddenly a lot more quiet with me, I might go, oh, have I done something? Mm. Or and so it's easy to just go to just say, just so you know, tomorrow I might be a little bit more solitary. It, I I I hope it's, you know, yeah. with you. And if 
it's nothing to do with you and i'm not you know annoyed or in a in a bad mood or anything i'm just it's just a heavy scene and yeah just that sorted and then you don't have to worry about it and you can you can go about your work um but i i know what you mean because I, it, it is a really difficult one to navigate because for me i i have no idea what i what my sort of process is but it's definitely just um whatever it takes really to mm. just what you need to get and yeah that's that's it <laughs> I, th I think it's a good question that you asked of do you think it would help you because I, I do think part of my reluctance to to do it is is a fear that it's from my you know middle class English upbringing of you you know you're, you're you're polite and you're this and and I don't want to be the person in the corner but communication is key and and anyone who's a half decent person would understand that um there's something that that we spoke about um uh via voice message that i'm very interested in the moment uh, interested in at the moment with the character i'm playing which is if you work in in this sort of way which is a very i don't know i find the way i prepare for roles kind of it doesn't encompass my life somewhat uh in the time i'm doing it and a question i think i'm interested in is should you be fully healed from an emotion or a situation before you use it as a tool to get into character because i'm noticing with there's there's a lot of um things that i can relate to within this character that I, that i have gone through um and i think when i was at drama school and earlier in my career if you can call it a career um i would just kind of oh throw myself completely into it for the art and fuck everything else and just you know I'd, I'd get off on that um and actually i'm realizing that and i still haven't figured out how to do it but you do need a separation between character and person and, and it's hard to show when it's when it's a part that has some very you know deep or troubling themes to it it's it's hard to shake off and it does stay with you no matter how much you you try and separate from it. Kate Fleetwood said something that I loved once, which was um, your body doesn't know you're lying to it. I thought that was a great <laughs> phrase. That's true. Mm. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean and think about being fully healed? What does that mean? I think a very good question because do you ever fully heal from things everything leaves a mark um i think having processed it to a point where it won't engender a sort of trauma response like you you can't be i i think you know when i did the rehearse reading for this play it came out of nowhere this just like the floodgates kind of opened and it it worked thankfully but it but it was i'd never had anything like that with acting before um it kind of was like oh that really was me um which maybe is good but i think as you say it's a job and you have to be in control in some some way so, i mean i think it's my instinct is to say that it's and with everything that i say it's each each to their own in the way that so, some people view it as a job and some people I don't I've mm. never I don't see it as a job uh if I if I wanted a job <laughs> yeah I, I I'm fairly disciplined I could have gone to university and you know actually got a proper job and get paid way more consistently yeah. <laughs> 
somewhere to go every day and have regularity and, and all those things. And so I, I personally don't see it as a job. And my experience has, you know, I, I think about great musicians and how many great pieces of music would we have lost if people had waited for themselves so to be before they wrote yeah. the song because yeah. it would be songs about like you know, <laughs> the, the 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 remembering their heartbreak as opposed yeah. to being in the middle of it and and that's why i think there's no hard and fast rule i'm thinking right now of an experience i had that was really um one of the most fundamental experiences of of that i've had as an actor because i I, I'm fairly certain I got into acting from a really, um, I mean, we all do, but f from for like fairly selfish reasons of just wanting to be heard and seen in a way, uh, wanting, uh, you know, attention and wanting people to see me and things. And so when I was like, when I went to drama school, I was really contending with that. And I was like, I'm basically just uh, training to continue my attention seeking this right and this is not good because i you know i don't need a degree to certify i'm good at this because i'm already phd yeah. i've mastered this already everyone's enabling this and so i i was trying to work out a way of um of it not being that and it goes back to what we spoke to at the beginning of this conversation which was can you reframe you know the destination is 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 what it is but can you reframe your reasoning for walking the path and I, I managed to in a way by when i left drama school not really doing any acting for like a year and a half two years and in that point and and there was also like a you know pandemic and yeah. things in that point contending with a lot of the um reasons why I, I did what I did and by throwing it away and by not doing it I was able to refine it from a place of necessity and from a place of need needing to express things needing to explore certain things and I did a play last year where I played a character who was very much like me as an 11 12 year old and he was yeah he was sort of 13 it was it was on stage and he was incredibly anxious and he was incredibly um lost in terms of what he should do he didn't feel like he could make the right decisions and this is from like a performance point of view but i was i've always been a really nervous performer just mm. so nervous and that comes from that sort of attention seeking mixed with self-consciousness all those kind of things and I was doing this play and again, I was just so nervous, so nervous. And then on, on the press night, I think, yeah, the morning of the press night, I got some really bad personal news that was just really crushing to me at the time, crumbling. And I, for the first time in my life, couldn't wait to go on stage. Mm. And so I, I was standing in the wings where I usually feel sick and to go on and now i feel sick standing in them and can't wait to to get on stage and of course you know that that show was like five to ten minutes longer than it normally is. <laughs> yeah. i'm just hovering around just trying to make the most of this <laughs> yeah just not wanting to 
not wanting to leave the stage because I felt such a freedom there and it was my life that I was kind of avoiding and again I don't know what that what that is I don't know if that's healthy or unhealthy or what healthy even means or what to process something even means you know this we're so good with language Mm. that we are able to give words to things that we don't understand the meaning of and we just bypass what what it means because we can get to a stage where we intellectualize it and I'm I don't know if that was healthy or not but my whole experience of performance changed then because I I felt so liberated and I felt so lucky to have a place where I could exercise these emotions you know I could the play was about you know in my personal life I I lost something that was really dear to me and in the final um beat of the show I have to run across the stage and say to my sister um please don't leave me because uh, I was about to lose something that was really dear to me and I I had to confront what that was and I was almost you know and there's all these ideas of it shouldn't be therapy or it shouldn't be this or it shouldn't be that and I, I don't know what it should and shouldn't be but I know I what think it was that's bullshit personally that's my I, stance I is, can is... you imagine telling you know who who writes really like, heartbreaking songs I don't know. Nick but, Drake yeah, okay great yeah. example mm-hmm. imagine trying to tell someone like that oh no you shouldn't you know you should you need to protect yourself here you need to like mm-hmm. And and I understand the sentiment, but it's really what you're dealing with isn't something that can be safely put in a box. If it's mm. really touching something primal and central to what it is to be a human being, if it is so easy to compartmentalize, then I'm not sure you're really touching the depths of it. Yeah, this um, this is a hard question to answer, but but having have you figured out what what it is that makes you want to be an actor? Because we talk about uh, about therapy, and I, uh, the reason I say that's bullshit, and I also understand the sentiment, but I think <clears throat> the reason theatre, which is kind of where acting started, was it was a form of catharsis for the audience and everyone involved, and that is one of you, you know it, I've had to f- try and figure out, and I'm not still not fully there, but why I want to be an actor. Because it was just my I, complete identity when when I was at Lambda, and and then why when did I you get into it, you know, because mm. how did you get to the point where it was your identity? Mm. I I think it wasn't my identity until I got to Lambda, weirdly. Uh-huh. So so it was quite a pure thing I'd done from a very early age. It's always kind of what I'd done. Um, and then I got to Lambda and suddenly started getting, I was, I had so little self-esteem and started to get, you know, pats on the back from people about yeah. stuff I was doing. And then it became, oh, well, this is the answer then. This is the way out. Um, so, so, so not to, um, pseudo therapize you, but I'm just curious cause it might enlighten something in my own life of, mm. so there was validation there. There was there validation. Was... Yeah. It was basically, oh, I'm. I have something to give and this is it. And and I felt, and I, I still do suffer with social anxiety somewhat, but it was crippling back then. Um, and so I felt very uncomfortable at drama school with uh, socializing and, you know, being around some very, you know, confident and outgoing people. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, and I just felt so uncomfortable that I just mostly stay at home <laughs> yeah. you know, and all that. Um, but it was like, oh 
this when it came to you know second year performances and stuff i would put my whole life would be about that and then then for one night i'd be cool to mm. people because people would be interested to talk to me after the show um and if i if i'd done less than my best i it, my day would be ruined i mean it's so fucked up thinking about it now but i i was i was i was a messed up at that time really um and i think i've had to and i'm still not fully there but i think the reason i act one of them is catharsis two is just from a pure place of joy it's the one thing i know i'm good at i don't have to I, I find life quite confusing. I don't find acting confusing, um, especially being in a theater. Everything within that world makes sense to me. I know how it works. I know my part in it. Um, but there is part of it that's therapy as well. And, it, you know, I'm finding it with this part. I think it's hard at the moment being in it, but it's making me. Okay, th this is this is quite a. Uh, vulnerable um, admission but you know I am um, I have made an attempt on my life years ago it's it's a long time ago but but my friend in this play kills themselves and so I've been looking into kind of grief of those bereaved by suicide quite in depth um, I've been to sobs meetings which is survivors of the bereavement of suicide I've been reading books all this stuff and it has shifted my perspective of that and sort of, I used it in a fucked up way, think that that was my way out. That was my fail safe if everything got too bad. And one thing, you know, you say it's not therapy. Well, it's therapy to me because I'm going to come out of this process seeing the other side of that. And it's completely changed my view on that subject. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, I really appreciate, like you said, the what vulnerability can do for other people. And I think perhaps maybe just from thinking about it as we're talking about it, that the the form itself is neutral in the way that, you know, it's it's like a guitar. It's just there and mm -hmm. you can pick it up and smash it. Yeah, you can, what you do with it is your decision. <laughs> you use it as a table if you like, put a plate on it. with. That's with a fantastic covering. metaphor, I like that. Play a happy song or a sad song or anything and... Uh, who are we to say to anyone else what that thing is you know and it is what it is for you and I, mm. I know what it is for me in a way that I I'm not sure I could I could conceptualize but you know if that's mm. what it is for you and it's then it requires like you said it hasn't been an easy road for you to get to this place where where that's what it is for you because it does require certain um conversations with yourself and you don't want to get really far down the road and realize that why you're doing it or what it is for you isn't serving you anymore mm -hmm. but i know for me that it feels like it's something similar to you where it's in in so many ways i completely identify with what you've said because me and a really close friend of mine had this discussion a long time ago and my opinion of it has changed since but I really was talking to him about um, at the time films like um, like Wes Anderson's films mm -hmm. or films that create a real world that's definitive and has a beginning, a middle and an end and gives you answers and is complete. 
and is like a closed circuit that you can live in and you know the the beginning middle and the end and it there's like a safety to it in a way yeah mm-hmm. and that i love and i love that about performing at the time because what i i i was drawn towards order because i was so filled with like inner chaos and then he was the opposite he liked films that ended with that leave you with more questions yeah. than and now i'm the same now i i love that but it's because i'm more resolved in myself in terms of inner chaos and so it shifted what it is for me and and what i think about it shifts all the time that's kind of why i wanted to have this conversation too was because i'm in no means uh at the end of some sort of road where i can where i feel like i can stand on a soapbox and tell people what the answers are mm. but i it would be cool it is very cool to keep a record of like a of where your thoughts were at at certain points and allow yourself to look back and go like you did just now with where you your experience of being in third year and getting like a, amazing parts but then also if it didn't go right you were sort of yeah gutted with yourself and it would ruin your day and you look back and you go wow and it's like opening up a journal and seeing oh my gosh that day i just berated myself for something and now i'm i feel totally differently and maybe in a few years time you'll you'll find that you'll be back not back but you'll have gone forward and you'll have different expectations on yourself because everything's kind of always evolving and changing i know for me right now that acting or being an artist as it were is something akin to being an explorer who because you said something and this goes back to what um music and and pieces of art can be for people in the way that an explorer back when we had like loads of undiscovered countries (laughs) to still still have it (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, which we still do in terms of his undiscovered country but for mm. for us um to like go to go across the horizon and come back and tell people what's there takes real bravery and courage and you have to overcome so much because you know i've been in periods of my life where i am not able to engage with grief i'm not able to really feel my feelings entirely and there's that's like 99 percent of the world because mm-hmm. you'll lose your you'll you'll start failing your exams you'll drop out of school you'll lose your job whatever mm-hmm. but and so you can't it's not possible because it will ruin the structure yeah. of life and that's for so many people the way it is and so if you can go to a theater or for me it was a, a movie theater and sit down and see someone go there they're at a hundred percent a lot of the time in their grief or they're in the story they're telling. And just through osmosis, you get to exercise some of that in a way where you can still go back to your life. Mm. So in that way, they, I, I, there's artists can be sort of emotional explorers who are Mm. back and letting us live, uh, live in a small way, in a way that we can manage. Um, without having to you know potentially throw our lives apart which is why a lot of artists lives are really chaotic and things that mm-hmm. best enjoyed from the outside <laughs> from a arts. distance yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't go near them they're anxious fucking mental <laughs> um, do you consider acting an art form 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Expand. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do. Uh, yeah, I think I do. I, I mean, it kind of depends. Is is all acting art? Who am I to say? But mm-hmm. I I know that I think it's an art form. But in the way that I think anything can really be an art form, there's so many ways to, um, you know, even if you're tidying your room, you can do it in an artistic, sort of conscious, thoughtful, intention-based way, or you can just do it whilst listening to music and not really engaging with it. And so for me, I definitely think it is. I think it's so funny because I was in a fury last night (laughs) reading David Mamet's book. You know, just, I, lo- I love going through it because it can, makes me contend so much with what I think in the way that, you know, you don't really, ideas in your head, they haven't come into friction with the real world. So until something has collided with something else, you don't, yeah. have, you don't have an idea really. No. And it's also like a lot of our ideas are just other people's ideas as much as we wouldn't want to admit it. You know? no, of course. And, and they should be. And <laughs> yeah, maybe of course. Add like a tiny little bit of, of of another idea and then two ideas stuck together an original uh, <laughs> an original idea but i think i think you know in his book he talks a lot about this uh how much extra stuff actors put on things and how it's so much more simple than it can be or whatever but i think even in small ways you can express something of yourself or you know we're expressing what it is to be a human being mm. um and that in itself is enough to be an art form for me definitely yeah what do you think it's a tough one for me uh i think i used to be very cynical and say immediately no Hmm? but actually i think and then i kind of got to this place where i thought well certain i think when it's done incredibly well the the you know the this when you see daniel day lewis on screen or I've seen a few stage productions. I saw the Layman trilogy and I thought Simon Russell B. I thought that was art and stuff like that. However, it's a difficult one because I, I do write as well and I write music and I write poetry and things like that. And with every other art form, so songwriting, poetry writing, I can clearly see a similarity with the creative process. Whereas, and you can do that on your own you can you can create a poem you can write a song you can't really act on your own it's just masturbation really <laughs> otherwise it's just, uh, if you're yeah. alone in your room doing a yeah. monologue yeah is it art probably not yeah. um it's a difficult one I, I still don't know the answer it's why i ask it because it's it's an interpretive art form i guess the art has kind of the world's the world's been written down for you it's your job to inhabit it which is why I think possibly, and I haven't worked in, in telly and film enough to, to make an assumption about this, but I feel like possibly theatre is more creative because you are, as an ensemble, actively discussing and trying to create this world together. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, mm. yeah. And I think so much of what you said is is bang on. Do you see, you know, when, you know, there's like great pieces of music that people do their versions of throughout the years in terms of like different covers of different songs etc i see those as art i mm. see when someone takes lyrics and and makes it into a different song um you know the rhythms of it and everything are different i see that as art i go wow that's that's a really cool mm. um 
version of that song and i guess i mean i guess it is an it is a version in a way but there's there's so much originality in it and i see that the same as acting is it wouldn't be an art form if everyone who picked up the script did the same thing every time mm -hmm. they did it maybe that wouldn't be an art form but the fact that both of and it's interesting you say you know art when you see it and i think that's true but and this might just be true of great writers but there's no versions of hamlet that are the same absolutely yeah. and and there's no there's but and i'm sure directors and casting directors see it all the time is that people come in and give very different interpretations of the same thing and so there's something yeah there's something there's creative something about between it the words on a page mm -hmm. and the person meeting them and that space in between there's yeah. originality there. There's creativity there, definitely. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I always ask myself is a similar question about kind of is is a dancer a creative? Because technically, it's an interpretive mm. form, isn't it? But you, it's how you interpret the music, and I, I think there's a similarity between acting and dance in some ways. Um, I, I am, I am leaning more towards that art is uh, that acting is 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 an art form because I do feel. The way I work and the way I prepare, I, I feel it's creative. And I think you're right that the, the fact that, you know, 10 different people can pick up the same script and do 10 different things with it. Um, but it's just interesting that, that sort of very few other art forms. It's. The act of creation has kind of. Already been laid down and that's your job to bring it to life, I guess. But as it's a very interesting um observation about kind of covers of songs because yeah i think this is a subjective thing but when i hear for instance um jeff buckley's cover of hallelujah it's go. an it, it's an entirely different song yeah. and it's it's yeah. a, an entirely different mood and yeah. that yeah i would agree that is art yeah. yeah it's funny for me because i see it um in in the same way that a song seems to exist somewhere that the songwriter has to sit down continually and, and find. Mm. I, I do believe that, that it exists somewhere and they are sort of finding it um, and they're sort of taking steps towards it. That's how I feel about characters. And mm. the thing that I'm, I become more and more interested in that is, is really like a sort of magic trick or like a mystery to me is that writers can often write characters without fully knowing what they've written in a way where, and, and and I mean that in the biggest, as a, as the mm. biggest compliment in the sense of they've, they sometimes create a, like a 10 headed monster without really realizing yeah. how amazing the character they've written is because a lot, they might just be thinking of it from a different way of, you might say to them, why do I say that line? And they go, and some writers who are really technical might give you a truthful, honest answer, which is, I just need it for this because it's antagonistic towards this. Mm. I need this part of the scene to be about this. Go, okay. But as an actor, you, you go when you're threading this line of the whole character, you're, you're having to, you're just focusing on one part of this giant machine. You're having to make it all make sense. And when you're adding all those lines, you know, you've got all the dots, but the way you connect those dots is completely up to you. Yeah. And unique so, to you everyone will have a different interpretation because yeah. oh you know i i had an experience on the character i'm playing now where i was on a plane flying back 
um, in between doing some filming and I basically was writing something down and I realized, oh, this character is, is me. And I've <laughs> been working for like four months. It's always like, a terrifying moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. I'm doing me again. <laughs> I'm doing me again. <laughs> and halfway through every single rehearsal process, I, I finally, this is the one. Yeah. This one isn't me. I, mm. This is definitely not me. And then you, oh no, I've, I've done me. Oh, again. Shit. And yeah. it was in the way that he, he, he grapples so much with the idea of success and the idea of, um, of, of he, he feels he can never truly be who he wants to be or who he actually naturally is. And so he's created a version of himself that's like palatable and can, and, a version of himself that can achieve the goal that he thinks he wants that will lead to his sort of salvation. And really in, in some strange way, he needs neither the person he created nor the goal that he seeks. He just wants to be himself. Mm. And, and I was like, Oh no, that's, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that, and another actor would take that part and see it totally differently. Mm. And that I think is is definitely art. I, I think a, a good example of of something I think is definitely art as an actor would be um, Mark Rylance's Rooster Byron in Jerusalem. I mean that I can't imagine Jez Butterworth ever pictured something yeah. like that, something that is such a juggernaut, and it, where he's almost. I don't know. It's almost like it's hard to do that play without moments now, yeah. isn't it? Bit, um, yeah. So, since you've graduated, the work you've done as an actor, how has that <clears throat> changed how you view what you want to do going forward? Because I, I, I always think in my third year, I had this idea of the exact kind of actor I wanted to be, the kind of work I wanted to do, and then you get out into the big bad world and industry and you start doing work and that your concept of what you want to do changes and shifts. Has that been the case for you as well? Yeah. Yeah. Mass. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I, I, we were talking before about it being the, the form, the, the form being the form in the way that um, acting is one way of expressing something you're going through um, or one way of expressing anything, but really the journey is you as, as the person. And I think that's mm. what, that, that is the biggest difficulty when you go to somewhere like Lambda is you become an actor in the yeah. way that you're no longer the guy at school who does acting or the person at school who does acting. You're now, Oh, this is my friend. He's an actor. Yeah. Stan, the actor, Dan, yeah. the actor. Yeah. And the ego, <laughs> loves it yeah yeah like, oh, oh gosh this loves is to identify <laughs> with something doesn't it the ego. Yeah. <laughs> and and you become yeah you become an actor and i think for me the biggest thing about leaving lambda was losing that and i mm. and it was you know i did i didn't work for for yeah it was like two years after leaving drama school which is still by, by my metric not that long um, but it felt long and I'm sure I'll have periods of longer, you know, after this or in, in the future, but it's kind of losing all of that. And you said before that, you know, you could have finished 
drama school having done Macbeth and Simon the Great Agent and gone on to do shows and it really could have been the worst thing that ever happened to you mm. because it doesn't it doesn't indicate and it doesn't require or make you contend with anything internal no. when you're just taking steps forward externally it mm. it really actually can often do the opposite especially in acting if you're contending with issues about your right who, who you are or who you want to be or the only real way through that is is some form of struggle improving to yourself who you are in really difficult moments and not only are you not struggling you're you're being put up in a hotel you're being picked up driven in, to say in yeah, Mercedes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're being fed you're like a child yeah and, it's so and, true and you can like people can request ridiculous things and they'll yeah. say yes and you're so you're in this strange world of uh you're being infantilized and that is and i didn't have that experience mm. leaving drama school i i had gone to drama school when i was 18 did drama school it all went well i mean i, I loved it so much and then left and yeah nothing and it was through that that i learned to not identify solely as an actor and learn and and just had to and i still go through this now where acting is part of the way that i express myself and something i really enjoy doing but the bigger journey is the personal one yeah. and if you're going through personal experience to make yourself a better actor that's the wrong way around yeah um, yeah. <laughs> uh, not the wrong way around it's just the wrong way of thinking about mm. it it's like you're, you are a person who is experiencing things and that's why i think it can help to think of yourself as an artist because then you're not bound by the form mm. um i'm I sure agree you, more. I, I don't yeah. know how you had that experience you're saying you're into music do you did was there a period where you were like well i can't do music because i'm an actor <laughs> well like, actually it was interesting because i think the start of my my journey into letting go of the identity as an actor was music because i i i had missed performing so much i mean i worked immediately out of drama school and then didn't work for nine months uh, which doesn't seem that long but i you know i've done quite small scale work and stuff i haven't had the big agent and stuff so i've kind of built very much from the ground up um and things like that but i, I I got back into I miss being on stage and what do I love? I love music. So I started performing live and that was like, oh, acting's not the only thing that makes me happy. And that was a very small start. But it, it's very interesting. I couldn't agree more with what you said. And it was very interesting when the pandemic hit. Some of the most miserable people I spoke to were very successful actors. Who, the no, because they'd gone straight from drama school and not stopped working. And so you don't have to look at yourself if yeah. you're caught and you sort of sometimes don't have time to look at yourself. And I you're... think so many things of that, like I, I am so glad that people do do that and they do go on to work because it's everything you ever wish for. But in a way, that's their journey then is that yeah. you gain everything you ever wanted to realize that none of it, you know, that that's not what you really wanted in the first place, maybe. Um, but for us or for other people the journey is is finding is actually not having to go through that you then have to contend with yourself and so many other things that you develop all these tools mm. all these experiences of struggle and all these experiences of having to go well who am i if i'm not an actor and i had the similar experience during the pandemic where i it was a really other than 
I wasn't personally affected by um, death through COVID. And so for me, on a personal level, it was a very peaceful time because I had been, it was an extension of, of what I'd been through. But then also I got to really experience life without feeling like I'm missing out on something and yeah. without, like I'm not working as an actor. I've spoken and, to so many. I mean, Mikey said that, you know, so many actors have expressed that, that they suddenly the pressure was off because we weren't um, comparing ourselves to everyone else because everyone was in the same boat. And that's always there, yeah. to, regardless of pandemic or not. Exactly. It's actually mm -hmm. always Possibly. there to sink into as opposed to jump up and grab. Mm -hmm. Completely. Yeah. Um. Talking of Mikey, so I spoke to Mikey and I don't know what this means, but he just said the fruit. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I want you to uh, go into the fruit with me, please, Sally <laughs> <Danny> Morgan. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, when I left drama school, I was at the end of at the end of Lambda. I actually went through a, I can't really describe what it was or where it came from, but I really like burnt all of, you know, the phrase of, if you want to take the island, you got to burn the boats that you I came just, on. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of did that in the sense of I left Lambda. I moved out into a, a, like a flat on my own in kind of like the middle of nowhere. And Mikey, who was my best friend, he went, back and i had many best friends at the time but he was one of them and he went back to america my a few of my other best friends moved away and i split up with the person i was seeing at the time and i was basically just like i had nothing mm. and i i sort of i don't know why i did it still but i'm so glad that i did but it was kind of the worst year of my life because <laughs> i wasn't acting i wasn't doing anything and everything i identified myself as and validated myself with went and all of the crutches i used to plug the holes of myself were gone and so me and mikey would have these long conversations on the phone because he is one of like probably the most amazing person on the planet but one of a handful of people that i'm so lucky to know that are so special yeah um, and i i have i'm lucky to say i have quite a few of them in my life but we would we reframed the way we thought about struggle and the way we thought about bad moments was because when you're someone at Lambda as an actor, the, uh, the ways you identify are you can become quite business oriented in the way that you're thinking about industry in inverted commas. Okay. So I'm an actor and the more jobs I do and the more successful I become, the more famous I become, the better I am as a person. I think Lambda in particular, sorry to interrupt, but I think Lambda in particular, from my experience of people that went to Bristol Old Vic and places like that, I think Lambda particularly um, don't help their students with that in the third year, in my opinion. For me, the focus should just all be being on an artist because that's a transferable yeah. skill. And and so so yeah so that was kind of that we were we were contending with that because none of that was happening for us and so we were like oh gosh and we would speak and we started to talk about you know 
the real at the darkest moments the moments where you know i'm on the phone just sort of sobbing then for the hundredth time that week mm. like mate everything i built my life on is gone and i don't know i'm like i feel like a kid starting all over um and he would go yeah but this is the this is the the fruit of life he was like this is this is the experiences that you're going to learn the most from and these are the moments that bear the best things yeah and from these moments the seeds of things are born and he was entirely right and i I was furious that he was right (laughs) because i was so certain fucking wisdom is annoying sometimes especially when you're in a pit of self-pity oh my god it's so annoying (laughs) the last thing you want to hear (laughs) (laughs) because i was like no 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 there's no way you can be right because I feel so awful and we and he it was basic and looking back on it now because we still use that phrase we just say oh it's the fruit you know Mm. a great heartbreak a great you know yeah a a real a real you know (laughs) standing up on the edge of the cliff and go oh my god it's all over this is just like the worst moment of my life and we just and now we almost seek those moments Mm. in a way not maybe not that we seek them but we definitely don't avoid them because that's our relationship to it is that they're the moments that we should strive for because to have one of those also means the inverse. Mm. And so it, to me, it means that you're living in the seat of life as opposed to, you know, sitting and watching cars going by, having all these experiences going, Oh, that looks awfully dangerous. And it's like, it it is all quite dangerous and scary, you know, like a a date or a romantic situation is incredibly scary Mm -hmm. because it's so unpredictable and it's so, the same as an audition or a, a great piece of work and you come back you go oh, mate i i i said this and i did this and i <laughs> why i did it he goes that that's the fruit like this struggle this 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 pit of of um whatever the feeling is are the moments of greatest um mm. revelation and reveal so much to you about yourself yeah that's amazing and it kind of it goes back a little bit to what i said earlier about kind of each depressive episode I come through feels like another little sh- it's it's like you're getting closer to your authentic self every time you go through one of these moments yeah. in a way and I think that's really what we should all aim for is kind of this authentic version of ourselves where all our both the dark and the light within us are integrated you know kind of what Jung says with the shadow and all that integrating the shadow yeah, yeah you know if for your head to be in heaven your feet have to be in hell or something completely there's no there's no light without the dark you wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't see it um so before we get into our weekly segments which i rather enjoy i just want to ask you one more question which is um and i'm going to try and not come at this from because i feel i i get on my high horse a little bit about this so i don't want to come here with this but what do, what how would you define um, or describe professionalism as an actor um, because it's something that really fucks me off um, when um, I, I see um, let's say self-entitled actors um, who seem to I don't know it, it annoys no discipline and no care for the people you're working with annoys the shit out of me basically <laughs> yeah I understand the frustration and (laughs) I have felt it from time to time. And I think ultimately I try and look at it through a lens of 
understanding as mm. we some people really haven't had to and I, I i mean this in like the most amazing way some people some people have been really lucky or unlucky depending on how you look at it that they, that discipline they've never had to enforce discipline to stop mm. themselves falling into places where they might not come out of and or to get them out of places where they might not come out of because mm. i've definitely felt that of periods of my life where if i didn't invoke discipline i don't know if i'd be i definitely wouldn't be here um mm. i don't mean alive on this earth i just mean i wouldn't be able to have this conversation i i could have really gone down a different path with things um so sometimes that's why i was saying i'm so grateful for um especially my uh interactions with forms of addiction were i realize what undisciplined um I, I don't i don't want to use that word too much in terms of addiction because that ascribes some form of like blame and oh you could just be disciplined and fix it i i don't mm -hmm. think that but it i can see what an un, unstructured unobserved life can lead to mm -hmm. and it really scared me and still scares me a lot now um so that's just the way i came from it but i also have sort of so much self-doubt and i i look at people who can turn up to a set barely learn the lines don't really know the story and and still still do it as if they're yeah. things and and i'm i just wouldn't be able to i'd be i'd be sweating i'd be like confused i'd be all up in my head and i, I have to do so much just to get there and feel like i'm honoring something and Same. feel like yeah. i'm yeah i i I really feel like you understand that and but for some people it does make them better if the goal is not if the goal is to make the best piece of work you can and to tell the story for some people that's the way they can do it is that by not engaging with the material and by not inhibiting themselves uh, in air quotes with research and things like that they are they feel they're better and i think ultimately it's you said the word concentration earlier and i think it's all about you know stanislavski knew a thing a thing or two about acting and it was concentration and relaxation mm -hmm. both of those to me are just if you can't get those then any work you've done is useless yeah um but i do i i would prefer to be on sets where it wasn't so casual and it, it there was a feeling of of rigor and a feeling of um just you know it was that thing earlier sometimes you you sat down having a chat and then you go into a room and and someone passes away on camera and you're like oh we were just having a chat about so you know some what what people gonna have for lunch and stuff and it just feels i don't know it all it just for me it doesn't work i'm not yeah. able to shift it i guess the 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 flow of emotion through my body is thicker than other people some people can just flow straight through for me it's like a bigger gear shift it's like trying yeah. to turn a barge around um but yeah i would love for there to be more rigor more um uh for it to be more okay with people really going for it and caring about it because there is that phrase you know we're not saving lives um, yeah. and and it's true you know you're not um you're not on the front lines in in a in a war like a lot of my family have been and um, you're not working in a and e like my mum did but that doesn't mean that you then should just like not do anything mm. um and that 
doesn't mean then that you shouldn't take it seriously at all because that's another inverted version of comparison is the thief of joy which it is and just because you're not on the front line doesn't mean you shouldn't take your job seriously and you said that and i think there's an extra line of you can take the job seriously without taking yourself too seriously and that's that's like the best because i think no one really knows what Daniel Day-Lewis's process is. Let's not. Nor does he. It's become a myth, hasn't it, more than anything? Yeah, I it think. really has. Mm. And I think I I love people who can do it all with a slight wink, you mm. know, can go there and be there. But it's all in the thing of uh, I'm doing this because this is the best way I can do my job. But, it, you know, I'm not going to... Um, uh, I'm not going to think that I am um, uh, saving lives, but I, I, you, you can just do your job to the best of your ability and put everything you can into it. And that's enough. Yeah. And it's, it's one reason that, you know, I, I don't use much of her stuff in, in my preparation, but I, I was really influenced by Uta Hagen, just how yeah. much detail she puts into, into this craft, whatever you art, whatever you want to call it. But yeah. it, it's like, musicians aren't saving lives but you wouldn't yeah. be called a wanker for practicing for six hours a day as a musician you know and taking it seriously it become, it, it's there is an interesting mythology and when we choose to mythologize and when we don't mm. because a pianist who sits at a piano for nine hours a day they're a genius a virtuoso yeah yeah absolutely mm. and daniel day lewis is a genius because he is he's mm. probably, he's the best actor i've seen um mm. not to be cliche but brando's there as well um yeah. those names are cliches for a reason and mm. they have very different approaches but i think yeah what were you gonna say because i just saw you oh i i was just gonna say <laughs> i was about to go on a rant about people that um sort of say oh, i don't think daniel day lewis is that great because yeah. um he is yeah he is um I, I get if it's a taste thing. I, I know a lot of people prefer very kind of still naturalistic actors, but I find he finds naturalism in the biggest emotions, and that's very fucking hard to do. It doesn't matter how big something is as long as it's truthful. And I think that that's kind of what annoys me, what people say about him, that it's over the top. It's like it's not. There is no, no level of falsity in what he's portraying. I, I, I don't know what naturalistic means, but I know that w- when I've watched him, I've never felt for a moment that he that there isn't a living, breathing human Completely. being. Completely, yeah. I feel that with John Bernthal, who I think is an amazing actor. You know, Jeremy Strong's obviously fantastic. But there's yeah. there's never a moment where you feel like you're not seeing no. person. Uta Hagen, for me, just on the base level of, she requires a lot from the people she works with. Yeah. And that I really like. You know, I, I grew up in sports and... I grew up with this rigor and that 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 was that was the thing I was thinking about was there's a lot of times you're on a set and people go, oh, I I only read my scenes or you know, I haven't even read the I haven't even read the film and everyone like sort of giggles together. Or um, yeah, I was up all night getting hammered and now I'm here. Mm. And if you played for Real Madrid <laughs> and your central midfielder came in and said, I was out till six AM last night. And you were about to play in the Champions League final, you'd be raging. Yeah. And if they said, "Oh, yeah, I didn't really train this week," you'd be furious. Um, and that's how, how I see it. It just go, yeah. "Oh, okay. Well, now I feel sad because I feel 
like we're not all pulling together it almost dumbs down the thing we're trying to create as a group mm. and and i i agree and I, just on a personal level i mean it, it's a it's a defect of mine but i beat myself up so much that i can't I beat myself up even when I'm not being lazy. So the thought of actively being lazy and going and getting hammered um, until three and then turning up to set having not read the script just fundamentally makes me feel queasy. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. You and some, you know, sometimes there are people who, you know, like they say, Eden Hazard never trained and he play, when he played for Chelsea, but he was amazing on the day. And there are some people like that, who that's part of their sort of creative chaos mm. is that, um, but just for me on a personal level, that's not how I approach things. Yeah, same. Mm. What is your art of the week, Stanley Morgan? Um, a piece of art that you have heard, seen, you know, listened to that has moved you this week? I might share it with you. Um, Go on, yeah. My granny sent me a poem. Um, oh, I don't even know if it's a poem. It's a reading mm. um, that I was really... We were, we were talking a lot, me and my granny, and she ended up sending me a reading on grief. Mm. And um, she, I was really sort of um, moved by it because she hadn't really shared it with anyone else. But she said... Did I she thought, write this? Or... No, no, she, no. No, no. She'd, she'd, she'd been given it at church. Mm. My granny is the most amazing woman on the planet. Um, she is both... Um, the sort of matriarch of our family and encompasses, you know, that all of those things of, of what that is like to be a leader, to be the head of a family has so many children, grandchildren, whatever. And, but also has, it's, it's very rare that you find both the, the softness in someone where they can give everything of themselves to other people. She's the most selfless person I've ever met, but she can also lead a family mm. and, invoke discipline when it needs to be invoked you know true leaders true leaders it's a yeah. real rare thing it really is and so, something so, not to be sniffed at you know i think no, it's a yes. real quality that we don't talk about enough is leadership absolutely and it's to hold you know to to hold a child with with enough strength to keep them protected and held upright um but not too much that you sort of you know yeah coddle uh, them that they can't be self-sufficient yeah mm -hmm. and exactly mm -hmm. And that's what she does. And so when she shared this with me, I was really, really moved. And so I just want to share it with you now. Um, it's just a short little reading on grief, but it goes on what we were talking about earlier. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's by uh, Cardinal Basil Hume on grief. And it says, grief cannot be shared for it is mine alone. Grief is a dying within me, a great emptiness, a frightening void. It is loneliness, a sickening sorrow at night, on awakening a terrible dread. Another's words do not help. A reasoned argument explains too little for having tried too much. Silence is the best response to another's grief. Not the silence that's a pause in speech, awkward and unwanted, but one that unites heart to heart. Love, speaking in silence, is the way into the void of another's grief. The best of all love comes silently and slowly too, to soften the pain of grief and to begin to dispel the sadness. That's beautiful. There's I... more in that, but that mm -hmm. the, the rest of it is more tied to God. So I kind of want to leave it yeah. there. No, fair enough. 
religious, but it's a pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I love the the um thing of the greatest form of love is is, is silence almost. It's like what we're talking about of leaving that space. I think there's a power in just leaving a space for someone to be vulnerable if they they want to be. Absolutely, Powerful and thing. not forcing it, and also not you know not minding if it's not there. But yeah, completely. Yeah, just leaving space. There's space here if if you're ready, kind of thing. I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, my art of the week. Um, I th I've got a few options, and I think because we listened to a little meditation beforehand, I'm going to choose Confessions by David White. Uh, Confessions is a collection of I guess short readings with a poetic uh, bent to them because he's a he's an Irish American poet. Um, they're on the Waking Up app. There's it's also in book form, um, but he does he does the, the most beautiful one I think is is it's about a nine minute reading on friendship, um, and I can't remember. I I I don't want to you know ruin it for anyone, but but there's um, it's basically that friendship true friendship is the act of witnessing and constant forgiveness we forgive each other constantly and are there to witness each other's fuck-ups and you know that's for me one of the most beautiful things about true friendship is witnessing the progression of someone and see them deal with the challenges and be there to witness it but you they have to go through it themselves it's it's beautiful and there's it's he's got it on everything love uh isolation all these things that it's a fantastic collection so uh, Consolations by David White. It takes bravery to allow someone to change because mm. you leave the door open for them to also change away from you. So <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Difficult mm. because sometimes you're kind of like, yeah, I would love if you change to be more like me. Yeah. <laughs> but and it's, yeah, I, I guess it, it shows the sign of true friendship because often. It's not to say that this is a bad thing, but friendships that are born out of a certain situation or a certain point in time are fixed in that time or situation. And yeah. the ones that can, that are malleable and can flow with the flow of life are the ones that you, you never lose, really. Yeah, because they're not tied to a specific place or a specific belief. It's like, oh, I can, I can only be friends with you if you continue to love this thing or this, yeah. you know, and that's not, that's not you know you know the phrase like warts and all you know mm. that thing of like yeah. i love you for the warts and all it's almost like the opposite not warts and all but like warts are all yeah it's warts like, because yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <exactly. laughs> because of the yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's the reason that i i sort of i love you and i think that's a that's a nice idea i found it a lot when i quit drinking actually um the friendships that sort of that were really acquaintances based on us getting pissed together sort of thing. And when you're no longer that person, um, it's hard, it's hard to keep those. And I, and I, I lost a few, um, which was an interesting thing. Mm. Artist spotlight of the week, Stan, um, if there's one artist you think people should know about, who would it be? There's so many. Yeah, luckily, <laughs> you can luck choose a few. Honestly, luckily, yeah. one's already been on this show. So, Mikey, <laughs> Mikey, he's already been on here. Yeah, <laughs> I can't say anything that you won't think yourself if you just listen to the episode with you. Um, if you just listen to that, you'll get an. In that was that that was such a gift for me to have that because I now don't need to tell my friends about this amazing person that I know. Yeah, I can just send them that episode 
and just say just of service <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i can say just listen to this and this was the person that i lived with for three mm. years at drama school yeah the person i speak to every day he's a special person it's it's i've never found because me and mikey haven't had that many conversations we haven't you know we were always friendly at drama school and i saw him around but we were never close we've never technically been close Yet there's a connection and an immediate understanding there that when I went to New York and stayed with him recently, you know, we could have stayed up talking for five hours and lost track of the time. It's a, it's a, and I have not really found something like that before. So he's a very special, yeah, person. Incredibly special. He's someone that everyone should, yeah, keep, keep a um, track on in terms of anything he produces will, will, penetrate you sort of spiritually and emotionally on a level where um they'll you just i know that everything he creates comes with such depth and that's kind of what i'm drawn to Mm. i i was drawn to him as a artist before we really became friends um we lived together but i i didn't really know him and then i saw him perform and was like every piece of work he did was so detailed but also full of so much spirit Mm. and it was something that I saw that made me want to get up and act. Yeah. And so to then what be a friends, gift. What a fucking gift that is. That's the biggest gift. And it then rarely happens, but seeing him, like, yeah. Yeah. And I get to speak to him every day and we get to, sh- it, it was like, yeah, it was, it was, it really is amazing. So he, mm. he's one, another one I would say, I've, I've got three. I just want to quickly touch on. Yeah, of course. Um, Gilbert Kyam Jr. Uh, Gilbert Chem Jr. Is my best friend. Um, I mean, he is like one of five people who are like my brothers, Mikey being one of them, there's a few others. Um, and he's like my business partner and we work together and he he is um, an actor and a performer who I think, um, and as a, as a person, he stands by so many things that I I really respect and admire. And to be in his presence is to elevate yourself to a version of yourself that you love um because you have to Hmm. Uh, in order to it's kind of like mikey is like you know you like the person you are when you're around them because the level of integrity and depth they bring to conversation is a level that requires you to be in a certain place and that for me is 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 euphoric yeah Uh, and then there's two others yeah my granny um i would say is like the best painter artist i know um she introduced me to what art is and she's i've already touched on her but she's the most lovely woman um and i share um her artwork on my instagram (laughs) my instagram (laughs) promoting other people (laughs) well Um, because i put in the episode notes i always put um that shall i just put stan's granny or would she be okay with her full name (laughs) can you put um can you put lally Right, L L L I E, and then in brackets you can put Gabrielle Pugh Morgan. But okay. uh, that's what we call we call her Lally, and she, her her paintings are amazing. And on on my in my flat in my house, I only have one piece of artwork on the wall, and it's her painting of the Berlin Gap, and it's beautiful. Amazing. And then the last person I, t- I talk about is if there's any actors listening, um, the person who if you're struggling with your work or if you feel like you're at a certain block with your work email Lawrence Mitchell and speak to him. And he's someone who has been like a mentor to me, has been like a uh, an artistic best friend to me, has been a best friend to every character I've ever made. 
um he knows them all and he, <laughs> he loves them all and i love them all and um he's one of the greatest acting um practitioners and teachers and tutors i've i've ever come across because similar to anyone i've just listed gilbert mikey so much expertise with no ego it's yeah. the most incredible balance um so yeah and what about you mate for this fantastic um so my artist spotlight of the week um i'm gonna go for <laughs> one that needs so much you know this unknown person leonard cohen <laughs> i'm gonna finally go. someone finally someone someone's giving a shot <laughs> um but the reason being um i'm was gonna choose it for my uh, um art of the week but i've been reading the flame which is his final collection of poetry that he wrote when he was dying um and he was confined to he wrote this poetry collection and recorded his final album all while confined to a chair in his room, basically. And both pieces are just the way he deals with the oncoming mortality that he's about to face is there's a song from his final album that opens it called You Want It Darker. And he was um, uh, religious. He was a, a Jewish man and practiced Judaism and it's him talking to his God, and it's like a hymn. It's like a Hebrew hymn. It's unbelievable. Um, he says, I don't know what it means. I did used to know what it means, but the chorus goes, Ineni, Ineni, which is something in, in Hebrew, and then he just says, I'm ready, my Lord. But it's wow. it's also this struggle. That, so it's it's the chorus is that, but the first verse is like his struggles with God, and kind of he goes... Um, if you are the healer, it means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker, we kill the flame. Uh, he's just, as a as a wordsmith, uh -huh. there's very few people better. And um, I know I should probably shout out more unknowns, but I, uh, he's moved me this week, so I'm going to choose Leonard Cohen. Yeah. <laughs> mm. One thing you are grateful for this week, Stan? This conversation, I would say. Um, hey, I'm glad. Yeah, I, I just think um, uh, to get to talk um, about things that you're actually aligned with and you care about, especially as an actor, you don't always get to even say words that you feel aligned with. Um, and so I feel, yeah, I feel conversations like these I, I'm really grateful for. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that because I, I you know, and I'm going to, go for the same thing because I, I i i felt your hesitancy initially and you, and you expressed that very um you know well and you were very thoughtful in in what you wanted to get out of this conversation and i'm glad you came on because i think it has been a wonderful conversation and uh yeah so i'm also grateful for this do you have there can be more than one um but as everyone on this podcast knows my artistic role model is bob dylan do you have a an artistic role model someone that has influenced you and is the sort of artist you would like to be ideally oh uh, <laughs> that one's really hard yeah it's it's always changing because i feel like maybe i'm a sort of patchwork quilt of many people sewn together daniel day lewis is definitely on there okay. the only reason i wouldn't say him is because of what that means to other people as a result in the sense of, oh, that means he must feel like this or do like that. 
I just love his work to watch mm. him on screen. Like you said, I, I feel like I've seen magic. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of acting that you see. There's a lot of it going on at the minute. You know, I think Matthew McFadden's doing it in succession oh, God. where, you know, He's you so... have a lot of actors and you, and you think, oh, okay, I know how they've done that. I could have done that. I don't know no. him. Yeah. He's I, I... stunning to watch Matthew McFadden in succession. He's he, just every choice. I go, well, how's he? Why? Why that? And, and, the, and the thing is, he's almost doing nothing as well. It's all internal. You can almost see all the work he's done internally and then can just be there. And it, it and you read it. It's it's magic. It's it really feels that way. It feels like a magic trick. And for someone, you know, we've watched so much acting, we've studied acting. And so you get quite good at identifying. Oh, yeah, I know. I know what mm. that is quite quickly with him. I'm he also is the least sort of sentimental actor I've ever seen. Mm. And same with Daniel Day-Lewis. There's, there's not a moment where they are engaged in their feelings in the way that's that's what they're trying to achieve is feeling. Mm. At no point do you see the actor go, yes, I'm crying. You, yeah. just, you just see a person trying not to engage with their feelings, which I think for me is really... That's the exciting thing, isn't it? That's yeah. that's the thing. The the seeing the crying is is never interesting. It's seeing someone try to hold back tears is yeah. interesting because that's what we do in real life, really. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I guess my my artistic role model is is the, are, are all the people you know. Kate Blanchett does it every time she acts. Is that anyone who makes it feel like a magic trick to someone who to to people in the magic circle? Yeah. <laughs> and, when we're all sat around yeah. going, no idea how they've the done magician that. can't doesn't know your trick. You you've, you've done, yeah, completely. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. I like that. And um, finally, what does it mean to you to be an artist, or what do you admire most in the artists that that have influenced you? To me, it means. Um, I, I think my experience of, of art has always been that it requires you to operate in a certain way or it's always required me to align myself and operate in a way that is always a version of myself that I love and a version that it, it requires space and it requires consciousness and it requires presence and thoughtfulness and reflectiveness um, to create something that's going to because we were saying earlier about it doesn't it, you're not saving lives and that is true but my life has definitely been saved by films okay. entirely i i just they all my best friends were growing up were you know from forrest gump to yeah. rocky <laughs> and every boxer you meet has watched rocky at some key mm. point in their life and that gave them a life and the amount of times i'd go into school with a you know, after school, I'd be wearing a different jacket because I'm trying to be like this person or that person. And it was like having the, you know, Al Pacino was my friend growing yeah. up. That way of like, mm. I'm just going to go and be like Al was in. Yeah. This I'm just going to shout, I, I trusted you, Fredo, at people. Because I'm an Italian gangster. Yeah. The day, and people don't understand that if they come to me on the day of my daughter's. <laughs> 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 that's what it was like uh. um, so, so yeah to, to be an artist is that is to make people feel 
uh, seen and give and feel heard mm. and give and rep and to uh, yeah to and to shine light on an experience that someone else can feel less alone by is mm. is what I would say is is what art is to me. Beautiful. I, I also because we've touched on it a few times, I just want to say something about that phrase. Um, you know, we're not saving lives. No, we're not saving lives. However, I always give the example of uh, the pandemic when everyone was locked in their house. Um, mm. The government at that time was um, putting out adverts um, of a ballet dancer saying maybe her next job could be in tech, basically trying to draw people away from pursuing artistic uh, industries. Um, and yet, if you had taken away every bit of art, all, all Netflix, no TV shows, no films, no books, no music, none of that, the world would have imploded and gone insane because that's all we were doing. Yeah. So, no, we're not saving lives, but a society without art is a society with no soul, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. Is there, finally, is there anything you would like to promote, Stanley Morgan? No. No? Good man. <laughs> Forget all that. Forget all that if, shit. If it's worth seeing or worth engaging with, you'll you'll find it. <laughs> Amazing. Find way to you. Yeah. Uh, Stan, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to do this, mate. I appreciate yeah, it. Thank you for your honesty and your openness and your, yeah, your consciousness. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you.